Thanks for checking out The Bridge Podcast, a ministry to St. Francis and the surrounding community. It's not a mistake you are here. We pray God speaks to you today. Service times are 9.30 and 11 a.m. Sunday mornings. Feel free to check us out at sfbridge.org. Have a life-giving week. Open up your Bible. If you have a Bible with you, I want you to grab it. If you don't have a Bible, grab your technology right now. Just get it out and, and hold it, okay? Um, I, I have like 700 versions of the Bible on my iPad, so that's where I go now. And you can have the same thing, all right? It's not just for pastors. It's for all of us. It's through the Version app. I want you to turn to two places and put your finger there. The first is Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at it in just a moment. Um, and don't put it up yet, but we'll go there in just a moment. And then the second part is Judges chapter 3. <laughs> judges? We're going to Judges this morning? Yeah, we're going to Judges. It's going to be good. So put your finger in the book of Judges and hold your finger there. We're going to start with Colossians here this morning, and we're going to unpack our next bizarre series or story in this series this morning. So here we go, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. I'm going to go a little fast this morning, so I need you to buckle up and be ready. Are you ready? Here we go. All right. All right, so then, just as you receive Christ, verses 6 through 10, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to what? Live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one, who? No one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on... Christ. We've been talking about Christ as our center. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. That's some good news right there. Isn't it? I think it's maybe just me, but I think that's good news. That's really good news. That means that Christ wants to be the center. We don't want to look to human things. We want to look to what God has for us. And so what I want to do this morning in our next bizarre story is I want to unpack the story of an underdog. Now, do you know what? You remember an underdog? Now, some of you remember underdogs at the swing set. That's not what we're talking about. You remember, like, when you push the kid and you try to eventually get your kid to swing all the way around? <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, it's child abuse. Um, but an underdog is somebody that God would take. I forget the line in the song this morning. First time hearing this song. It's a beautiful song. What, what does that song say? We just sung it about God making what beautiful? Broken lives beautiful. That's the definition of an underdog right there, is where God's taking broken lives. He's taking us ordinary people. I'm ordinary. If you get to know me, man, this what you see is what you get. Okay, that, this is it. And so here's the deal. He's utilizing and using ordinary people to do things that are extraordinary. That's what he does. That's who God is. And so what I want to do is to get us on the same page this morning, get us caught up in this story. This is probably one of my favorite stories. I shared this story with the youth group last year, and uh, it's just it's a crazy story. Um, we're not quite rated R like last week. It's more PG-13 today, so you can relax, okay? Uh, last week we talked about King David and what the king had asked him to bring as a dowry. And uh, you can listen back because people said I looked uncomfortable saying what that was last week because I was. Um, the second thing... We looked at is God really being the center of our life. We looked at that the week before where Jesus cursed the fig tree. And why would he do that? And so you can listen to that online. But this morning, I want to get us on the same page. We're going backwards chronologically from, from last week just to mess with you, okay? No, it's just the way it kind of lined up. But here we are. We find ourselves in Judges. This is before Israel had a king. 
Okay, so far God is their king, and God set up these people called judges to do what? To judge, or basically to come in. They weren't kings, but they were leaders over the people to settle disputes and to come in to make sure that they were living the way God had intended them. And so what happens here in Judges chapter 17, verse 6, it says, and just don't worry, we're going to Judges 3 in just a moment. It said, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. So they had no king yet. They had these judges, but eventually they walked away from the Lord. It says in the book of Joshua, right before this, that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That phrase is repeated more than any other phrase because things were going well. They had a great walk with God, but then they turned from him. And so we find ourselves in the book of Judges here with this extremely unlikely character. So you got to remember, this is before King Saul. This is before King David, uh, y- years before this. And so these judges... God raised up. They're men and women of faith, and they're the underdogs. They're the unlikely hero. I believe we have unlikely heroes in here that we're going to look at in just a moment. And they led Israel out of bondage, out of oppression. And so let's read this story. It's a few verses this morning, so you're going to have to stay with me or read it uh, alongside. Judges chapter 3, verses 12 through 31. You can follow along on the screen, close your eyes and listen, read it in your app with me. This is NIV this morning. Once again, the Israelites did what? Say it with me, they did. In the eyes of the Lord, and because they did this, the Lord gave Eglon, or Eglon, however you want to say it. It's just an awful name. Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. He got these people together, named the Ammonites and the Malachites. We're not going to unpack that this morning. But then Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord... And he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now check this out. This is where it gets really interesting and fun. Whoever said the Bible was boring never read it. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a foot and a half long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. Very interesting here. It's getting getting weird. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way the men who had carried it. And the idols near Gilgal, he himself turned back and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. The king said, Quiet! And all his attendants left him. So here they are. They're alone in the room, Ehud and Eglon. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his summer palace and said, I have a message from God for you. Can I just tell you right now before we read on, this is not the message you ever want to get. Just saying, because it'll be your last one. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Oh, this is good, man. PG-13. Even the handle sank in after the blade, which came out his back. That's just awesome. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. (laughs) Welcome to the Bible, man. I love it. Judges is boring. You ain't never read it. All right. Then Ehud went out to the porch and he shut the doors of the upper room behind him and he locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said, this this is great. He must be peeing, is what he says. Okay? Relieving himself in the inner room of the house. That's what they say. It's biblical. I'm just reading the Bible. Don't get mad at me. They waited to the point of embarrassment 
But when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they saw their Lord fall to the floor dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the idols and escaped to Sariah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet da-da, in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went down with him from the hills, with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and taking possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab, they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, check this out, they struck down about, say it with me, how many? 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong, not a man escaped. That day Moab was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for how many years? 80 years. After Ehud came, Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goat, he too saved Israel. Another fun story we're not going to get into. Could you just imagine this story? This is reality. This really happened. Okay, this isn't a myth or somebody making this up. Here's Ehud, an unlikely hero that goes in. He's got this whole plan, brings this dagger, walks up to the king, which they, you know, say ate too much pizza, and they go to him, and he stabs him. And just imagine, like, you know, you're Ehud, you're this judge, and you just watch this sword, like, just get swallowed by his belly. It's, it's crazy. It's bizarre. So what in the world does it mean for us today? Can't, can't wait. We don't know, Pastor Chris. That's why we're here. How in the world does this relate? Well, let's, let's look at this. We're going to look at two different versions here. Or not versions, but two different things that it's really speaking to us today. First of all, throughout Scripture, you have different kind of central themes or focuses in the Hebrew writing. And so when you read the, a lot of the Old Testament, it's written cyclically. It's written basically in different kind of cycles. Uh, big word for it, chiasm. Chiasm just means it looks to a main point in Hebrew writing. It's a little different than the way we write today. And so in the Old Testament, they're trying to get our attention. The authors are trying to do something that's go, whoa, this is a crazy story. I must be supposed to read this. What is God supposed to speak to me? And so within it, there's this sin cycle found in the book of Judges. Here it is. Stage one is known as apostasy. I'm going to give you some big words. Don't worry about them. I'll tell you what they all mean. Apostasy is just what happened is the Israelites forgot about God and they turned away from him to worldly pursuits. I'm sure that doesn't apply to us at all today, right, in our age. Second stage is servitude. This is where basically God allows the Israelites to become slaves. Since he's a just God, he allowed them to be under this Moabite rule. They were there for 18 years under this evil king, this Moabite king. God allowed him. Why would God do that? Not only is he just, but he really wanted to get their hearts turned back to him. Again, I know that really doesn't apply to us. We're all so close to God. Third, stage three, supplication. Supplication, what is that? It just means asking. And so the Israelites asked God. They cried out to God. God, help us. We need you, Lord. Man, we screwed up. We did bad things. We got to repent. We got to lay me down. And again, it doesn't apply to us. And they were slaves for 18 years to this guy. They were in bondage. The last stage is salvation. You know, we've never talked about that at church. God raises up these judges to bring his people back to him. And here's Ehud. His prominent figure, though he was an underdog, he was to bring this present or this tribute to the king. We don't know exactly what he brought him, but the same language is, that's used here is used in the book of Luke where it talks about the Magi bringing Jesus gifts. It's the same language that's used. He went without artillery. He went alone. And he was basically an incredible military strategist that no one ever knew. 
He had his plot to kill the king. He had his escape plan. And then he had this plan to annihilate 10,000 Moabites. I mean, come on, man. I'll follow you. Where are you going, man? That's where I'm going. He was a leader who rallied Israel to kill these 10,000 Moabites. So let's bring it, let's bring it full circle in the application for us this morning. You know, we talk about salvation. Obviously, the only way through, through the Father is through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's salvation. It's real simple. I like simple. Kiss principle. Come on. Keep it simple, stupid. Number one, those three things this morning. Let's unpack this together. Ehud confronted the enemy. He confronted the enemy. You see, sin and flesh were basically represented in Eglon in two different ways. The first way was through the flesh. Okay, when I say flesh, I mean our, our sinful nature of who we are. You know, that sinful nature where we give in to temptation, we give in to things that we know the Bible says we should give in to. We still fall short. Moab, where Eglon came from, he came from the line of Moabites. He was the Moabite king. Anytime within Scripture you see a Moabite reference, it represents flesh. It represents sin. Because if you go all the way back to Lot, his daughters actually slept with their dad, and they had a son. They named him Moab. And so out of this, you came this incest, and so it was known as fleshly desires. And so anytime you read that in Scripture, it symbolically represents the flesh. Okay? The second thing that this represents symbolically in the Old Testament is here's what happens if we don't confront our sin, if we don't confront the enemy, if we don't confront the world, if we don't confront uh, Satan, how, whatever you want to put in there, what happens to our sin? It grows. You know, my wife and I have at our house, uh, we have a little section right next to our third garage stall, and it's all class five rock. You know what class five rock is? That little rock that's, you know, it's supposed to stay nice together, and you're not supposed to get weeds that grow through it. Well, guess what we get? We get weeds that grow through it. Now, we try to plant the garden. We can't do it to save our lives. But these weeds, man, they just grow. And it's like, I think we couldn't decide for three years whether this ginormous weed or tree was something we planted or that it was a weed. We finally just cut it down because we didn't like it. But we're like, I don't know if we grew that or that was just a weed. I have no idea to this day. We burnt it, you know, killed it. But what happens is this. That sin gets in there and it grows like a weed way more easily. And it becomes fat. It becomes large. And so when it's talking about Eglon, whoever wrote this really wanted us to see how ugly Eglon was. And basically it's talking about how ugly our sin becomes if we just let it fester, if we let it grow. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says what happens is we get this, without, un, without forgiveness, we get unforgiveness in this root of bitterness. It starts growing in us like a weed, and we have to go and we got to dig the root up. And so the author here of Judges, right here in Judges chapter 3, is saying, you know what? Sin is ugly. It doesn't look nice. It's not pretty. And sin, when it's unchecked, man, it grows. It gets big. So what do we do? I can tell you what I do. I can justify my sin. We paint it pretty colors. You know, we can deny it. But let's face it. Sin is just plain ugly, isn't it? It's just plain ugly. And it's not easy to kill. I can't tell you how many times, we, you know, we go to Marty's here in town and we buy the concentrated Roundup to kill that stuff. I've had to do it like four or five times. And guess what happens? A few months later, it's back. Sin is hard to get rid of. Sin has to be faced head on. You can't ignore it. 
And even if it's gory or disgusting, you don't want to confront it, we need to confront it. I hate to break it to you, but we're all Minnesotans here. Guess what we hate? Confrontation. You know, for some of us, raising our hands in church, it ain't never going to happen. Clapping in church, not my deal. Okay? We, you know, we're like, I'm good, I'm here, I'm awesome. We're stoic. You should be me. I was never going to be one of those hand-raising, clapping, happy clapper people. Now I is. God got a hold of my heart in a different way. I see him differently. Me, a big burly guy, it's not weird for me to sing a song about love. Because love is not some puny little emotion. It's a ginormous emotion that even goes beyond our comprehension of what Jesus did for us. What it is. We've got to deal with our sin. We don't like confrontation. But we have to confront it. No one else will confront it for us. The Holy Spirit might have whacked you in the face a few times. We're not going to do that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He might be whacking you with a big oak tree. I don't know. Or a redwood from California, for crying out loud. But we're really good sometimes at going, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And it hurts with those oak leaves slapping me and acorns falling all the time. But I'm good. I'm good. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't like confrontation. And I think Jesus is sometimes just looking at us going, when are you going to get it? When are you going to realize that I'm not doing this for anybody other than you? It's affecting you. And so we've got to confront sin. Eventually what happens? Sin becomes fat. We become okay with it. So we become, you know, hey, it's, it's something I've dealt with. And, and we're just like, I live in it. And sometimes it's even hard for us to even see that we sin. And we'll, we'll go through the Bible and, and maybe we'll even look at a few scriptures. But then there's some we're like, yeah, I know what that one's speaking to me. And I'm staying out of that one. But I'm going to read these. And sometimes I think it's so easy for us to get wrapped up into what we want the Bible to say to us rather than what the Bible is saying to us. Let it be speaking for itself. Why did the Israelites let their sin grow? Here's what happened. I want you to realize this. We already looked at this. But have you ever thought about this? Why in the world does the, did the Israelites wait 18 years before they prayed, before they cried out to God? Why? They didn't want to confront their sin. They lived in it. It became comfortable. It became a part of them. It was okay. They waited 18 years before they prayed. And then they might have felt ashamed, you know? Or maybe they didn't want to face the reality of their their sin. But here's the deal. You and I have a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the one who saves us from the dominion and the power of sin that seems to have control over our lives. Maybe you're going, Pastor Chris, I've tried so many times. You have no idea. I know I'm living in some type of sin, and I just can't figure out how to get out. I hate to break it to you. I'm not your answer. There's only one person that can do that. It's the power of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for me. That's the only way. And you know what he does? Matt even talked about it. He said, Jesus will meet you right where you're at. He's not judging you. He's not condemning you. Looking down on you. He's not saying, well, they did X, Y, Z, man. They got to wait 18 years like the Israelites did under Eglon. No. He sent Jesus Christ so that we don't have to wait. We can turn to him right now. It's that simple. I love that. Again, I love simple. Whether it's been 18 years, 8 years, or 8 minutes, you can turn to Christ today. After Ehud judged Israel, went from 18 years of oppression to 80 years of rest in the land. Think about that. Gee, how does that apply? I think you already figured it out. 
if we come to Christ, you know what happens? We don't become a slave to sin, we become a slave to righteousness. Righteousness is just a big word for means I'm standing in the right place with God. That's where he wants us to be. You know the first right place with God? You know what it is? The first step towards him or the next step towards him. That's what it comes down to. Here you go. Number two. Number two. Ehud not only dealt with the enemy or confronted the enemy, he dealt with what hindered him. I know none of us have things that hinder us. In case there's one or two of us, Ehud accepted his potential in God's eyes. Wouldn't it be great next Sunday if we all came in here and just said to each other, I've accepted my potential in God's eyes. We're all Minnesotan. No, that's prideful. He wants us to see like he sees. That's what Jesus wants. Ehud accepted his potential. There's a ton of references right here in the scripture that we read about him being what? Left-handed. He was left-handed, it says. We read that. It It said it a few times. Actually, here's what it means. If you go back to the literal translation, if you're a Bible nerd like me, I love looking this stuff up. I got lexicons and parallel Bibles and different translations. And you read the historical context. I love that. I'm nerdy like that. Okay, I hope you get to that someday. But in the Old Testament right here, do you know it doesn't read in the literal translation that he was left-handed? Our translation gets it wrong. Just about everyone. King James, NIV, NSV, you know, Amplified, that's the louder version. All of them get it wrong. That was a joke if you caught it. You had to be thinking. Okay? It actually doesn't say left-handed. It says he was hindered in his right hand. That's what it actually says in the Hebrew. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Here's really cool for you this morning. It means, from the tribe of Benjamin, it means son of my right strong hand. And so the, the author wants us to see that that here's somebody that wasn't strong. They didn't think they had it all together, but yet God chose to use this underdog. And so he accepted his potential. In other words, Ehud was physically limited. Okay, It actually reads, rather that he was left-handed, that he used his left hand more than his right hand. He was an obscure person, a man who God chose to use for his glory. I'll be really honest with you. You know, I feel sometimes like I'm that obscure person. If God can use me or use my wife or use us, I guarantee he can use you however he wants, okay? We said at the beginning of planting the church, we're like, God, I, I think you're talking to the wrong person. I think that's this person. And yet we've had to walk and accept that potential that there's nowhere else we'd rather be. This is what we want to do. We want to see a community come to the saving knowledge of Christ, and we're going to give our lives for it. That's where we're at. Anyway, moving on. Ehud was physically limited. He could have very easily dwelt on his disability and doubted his value in God. He could have easily had passed the opportunity of taking the present to the king of Moab, Eglon, and he would have passed up this opportunity for God to let him use use him. You know, he could have said, how could God possibly use me? But he didn't say that. He accepted his potential in God's eyes, and he rested in his value in God. I don't want to put us on the spot, but how many of us rest in our value simply in God? Jesus was the most unlikely hero of all. Isaiah 52, I'll toss it on the screen quick for you. Stay in Judges, verses 2 and 3. Prophecy of Jesus, it says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. This is a representation of Jesus. 
Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And yet he's the greatest hero of all time. It's Jesus. I want you to catch what I'm about to say. I'm going to bring this to a close in just a few moments. But if you don't hear anything else I say today or even throughout the rest of this series, this, this right here is the, the main point of what I pray God is speaking to you this morning. Let it, let, hear God's voice, not mine right now. This room right here, right now, I don't care how old you are. I don't even care if you've given your life to Christ yet. I don't care if you gave your life to Christ a hundred years ago. This room is filled with possible ehuds. I want you to listen to this. I want you to get this into your heart right now. Just, just, just focus right now. It doesn't matter what your family background is. It doesn't matter if you're limited in some capacity. God sees you as much more than ordinary. What he does is he takes each one of us from our own different backgrounds, with our different talents, our different gifts, and he molds us uniquely into a representation of himself. We don't have to look alike. Thank you, Jesus, right? You're all praising God right now. But he uses us, he uses us, each one of us, in unique ways, and God is excited about how he wants to use you. But you have to see your potential. No one else can see that for you. He takes a life that this world discards, and he uses it for his glory. That's what he does. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You know, I came across this story last week as I was uh, getting my message together, and, and uh, I love this story. It's about a little boy. And this little boy was, you know, he accepted who he was. And he came up to his mom and dad, and he said, Mom and Dad, I know who I am in life. And parents are like, sure you do. Get up. He's like five. He's like, I am going to be the greatest hitter of all times. And the kids, mom and dad, you know, we do what mom and dads do. Hey, I'm sure, bud. And he grabs a bat and he grabs a ball. It's like, watch, mom and dad. And he throws up a ball, you know, by himself. And he, and he goes to hit the ball to show him. And he misses first time. You know, it's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. So he grabs the ball again and he throws it up and, and he goes and he hits it and he misses it a second time and the third time he takes the ball, he throws it up and he goes and he, to hit it and he strikes out. And his parents are like, what do we do? And, and he walked up uh, to his mom and dad and he said, you know what? I'm not going to be the greatest hitter of all time. I'm going to be the greatest pitcher. <laughs> See, he accepted his potential. I love that story. Number three is this. As Becca comes, we're going to close this in just a moment. Ehud rested in God's resources. Number one, Ehud confronted the enemy. Number two, Ehud dealt with what hindered him. And then number three, Ehud rested in God's resources. I got to tell you, this is the one that challenges me the most. Because sometimes I'm like, let's talk church growth strategy and let's talk what we're going to do. And we get together with our lead team and we dream and we, you know, we go, Matt, let's, what, what are we going to do when we need to go to three services and this and that? And we, we strategize. Matt and I get together. That's half of our conversations about what can we, what can we do as a church? I love it. But guess what? Without God's resources, all of our strategy pales in comparison. It doesn't matter. It's what He wants. And that's what it means to put Christ as the center. This is something God's been teaching me. So take it for whatever it's worth. But this is what Judges chapter 3, verse 28 says. Follow me, he ordered. This is Ehud talking. For the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. So they followed him down 
and taking possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab, they allowed no one to cross over. Ehud was a nobody that God chose to use. And it's only because God used him that he is a somebody that we read about a few thousand years later in the Bible. He didn't have all these fancy artillery artillery equipment things, you know, nothing. He didn't go in there with a full written out drawn plan. Now, he was a military strategist, but the beginning of that strategy was to allow God to be his biggest resource, period. Ehud didn't take any credit for anything, but he gave God all the glory. He recognized and had the faith and the ability and the resources of God at work in his life. Do we? So let's, I want to, I want you to take an action step this morning as Becca starts playing here this morning. That's what we're going to do this morning. I want to tell you what we're doing. We've got a few minutes left. I have three action steps and I pray that they speak to you. And this is what I want to ask you to do in a few moments. We don't do this very often at the bridge. We feel called to do this today. And what we're going to do is we're going to open up some altar time. What's altar time? Well, this is an altar. It's a stage. Yeah, work with me. Okay. We're not, we're not slaying pigeons and stuff up here. Not like that. That's Old Testament. We're New Testament. Okay. But this is a place to come and lay yourself down. And so if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, what we're going to do is this. I'm going to be here to pray for you. My wife's going to be here to pray for you. Matt and Kristen are going to be here to pray for you. I'm going to call you to come forward and make a commitment to Christ in a whole new way today. That's scary. Yep. Well, let's commit to him. So here we go. Three different ways. Number one is this. We need to be willing to confront areas of sin in our lives. Even if they're ugly. When we do this, you know what happens? We go from 18 years of bondage to 80 years of peace. What sin do you need to confront today? Number two, we need to see how valuable we are in God's eyes. No matter how weak, no matter how limited we might feel, we're all capable of great things in God. Every single one of us. Do you not see your potential? You need to get your butt up here today. Number three, pastor said but. We need to remember that it is unreserved faith in the strength and grace of our living God that will enable us to do what He wants us to do. We might be weak, but He is. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Becca's going to play. And if God is speaking to you, I'm asking you to take a bold step of faith this morning to this altar, just the, up here on the, on the floor. We just want to pray with you for a moment. We'll close service in just a few minutes. So as she's playing, right now, if God's speaking to you, I'm asking you to take a giant leap of faith this morning. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.